Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan. You know, my goal for you is that you would live fully, love without reserve, laugh readily, work with joy, start making a difference today. You know, we hear a lot about that today. I want to make a difference, especially in the younger people. I want to make a difference. How do we do that? What's our best vehicle for doing that? Well, I don't know of a better way to do that than to have work that's meaningful and purposeful and love what you're doing because then it brings to life your best resources your greatest enthusiasm. We're going to be talking about that on this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. Each week, I scan through the questions submitted by you, the listeners. We choose some of those that I think will benefit all of us, not just the one asking the question. You know, success principles are highly transferable. What works for you? If you're in real estate, I can learn from you, even though I'm not involved in real estate at all. I can learn from you because the same principles for success there, I mean, 85% of all of that is going to be transferable into the business that I have. So this is not where we just have to stand in silos and have to have this some long, painful learning process in isolation. No, learn from people who are doing well in whatever they're doing. That's the way we grow together. Well, some of the questions we're going to be dealing with today is, are, do I need a copyright on these DVDs before I sell them? How can I narrow down the specific area of coaching or advising that I want to do? What's the best program on how to set and achieve goals? What's the best advice for constructing and implementing a mission statement for people that are new to this? How do I best approach the lack of a degree in my job search and with interviewing? And then here, if we have time, we need to get to this one. Somebody says, is this whole idea of creating the life that we want while thriving in a career that we love more of an ideal than a practicality? <laughs> so what do you think? Well, you know where I'm going to go with that. Do I think this is just kind of a, a smoke and mirrors you know, fantasy that we have work that we love, that we end up with a life that we love. No, if I didn't believe it was possible, I'd hang up right now and, and go do something else. I mean, there's plenty of things that I enjoy doing, but I, I believe that it is possible. I was asked on an interview this week, you know, do I believe that's possible for everybody or are there just a few selected people who get to do work that they love? Well, no, I think that's possible for everybody. But now here's where our thinking usually goes on that. I, I want to just have a, a short digression here before we go into the questions. People assume, well, gee, I love cars as an example. I love being around cars. So if everybody did what they love doing, then we're all just going to be, you know, fixing up cars and polishing them and selling them and driving them and racing them. We're just all, no, that's not true. I mean, I have a lot of good friends who could care less about cars. To them, car is just a utilitarian means of transportation between point A and B. I mean, it, I, I can't understand that. It blows my mind because to me, a car is something to be enjoyed. It's an experience. Uh, but that's not true for everybody. There are a whole lot of things that I don't enjoy doing work-wise that I see other people love doing. I had a guy who was a call into a radio show I was on recently and he is a plumber in Chicago. 
Now in Chicago, geez, they have what, four or five months where lines freeze. He spends most of his time repairing frozen water lines. Now to me, that sounds like pretty much the most absolutely most miserable job I could dream up to be working in the cold in Chicago in frozen water lines. He loves what he's doing. He gets to be a hero every day. He goes out and repairs things. Kelly, people love what he's done. He's got them back in business again. They thank him, they appreciate him, they tip him. I mean, it was amazing to hear him talk about that. I'm thinking, wow, what a great reminder for me that we're going to all be doing the same thing. But do I think there's something available for everybody that they really do love and can thrive in and prosper in? Yes, I do indeed. Well, where, where was I here? Well, we you know, a lot of these things are kind of framed in um, what Shakespeare used to talk about, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. I love the opportunity to throw things into that mix. I like to take anything that I'm doing business wise and throw it in there. Should I continue doing this or should I not? You know, is this something we want to continue or not? But Shakespeare said to be or not to be, that is the question, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die, to sleep no more. And by a sleep to say, we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Well, probably more literary and philosophical than what you care about, but uh, certainly he's counterposing, you know, is it better to really try something and to risk outrageous fortune? I love that phrase better to risk outrageous fortune or should we just kind of stay under the radar, keep things very simple, you know, not make things too complicated and then someday we die and it's over. Well, I know which way I'm going and I trust you're one of the ones that is uh, looking at to be or not to be it's reasonable questions for pretty much anything that you're doing currently. You want to continue doing that or not? I look for things to purposely unplug in what I'm doing business wise that then allow me to bring in new things. I purposely look for 15% of what I'm doing every year that I'm going to discontinue so that I can bring new things in. Now, if you understand the power of compound interest works the same way, that means every four years I've essentially got a new business. Now there are going to be core components that are the same, but I'm purposely looking for things that I can stop doing. So I try new things. Well, let me go to the questions. Joe from Grand Rapids says, Dan, I have some DVDs that I made that show the process of instill, installing different types of flooring, such as laminate, tile, carpet, etc. I want to bring these to market right now and test them at some of the home shows that are coming up. Do I need a copyright on these DVDs before I sell them, or can I go test the market first? Also, do I need to keep anything that has a brand name on it concealed from the camera? Thanks, Dan. Love your show. You've really inspired me to be all that I can be. Well, thanks, Joe, for your question and comments. As far as getting copyrights for the DVDs, you don't need to do anything just by the fact that you have created them yourself. The, that makes them your protected copyrighted material. There really is not a process to add any more kind of legitimacy to it than that. You can put the little C in a circle on those, but anybody, you know, knows that that material is copyrighted. Um, now as it relates to product placement in your, let, let me use as, let me, let me use as an example, let's just say that 
in the, what I do here in my podcast, you know that I often I often just go grab a song of some kind and bring Take it up. Job and shove it. Hey, there's one right now. That's one we we refer to often. Oh, I hate to interrupt Johnny Paycheck now that I got him going. All right. Well, there's so many songs that relate to work. And you hear me often on here play those. Do I need to go to the songwriter, the publisher, the performer, and give them a royalty because I just used that as an example in my podcast? Well, there are a whole lot of issues to be addressed here. One is my podcast doesn't cost anybody any money. Now, is it used for business promotion? Yeah, you better believe it. But it doesn't cost any money, so I can make a case for that. But beyond that, the reality is it's such a tiny issue, the record companies don't want to deal with it. It's just not worth their time. I mean, for what I just did there, using eight seconds of Johnny Paycheck, take this job and shove it, you know, we'd have to go back and, gee, the publisher needs to get eight cents. You know, the songwriter needs to get three cents. I mean, it's just not worth messing with, and that's really the way that they feel about it. But when it comes right down to it, it's just extra promotion for that song, which they're going to welcome. I mean, look at the, what's, what's done in, now I should add the song that I use at the beginning of the podcast, the old Bachman Turner overdrive song, taking care of business. I do have a licensing agreement with Sony publishing for that. That's a little different. I use that consistently every week, little longer segment and I forced the issue with them just to, so I'd have some kind of a prototype. So I do have a licensing agreement for that. But I use a whole lot of things, in things that I just threw in because it just relates to, you know, the kind of things that we're talking about here. Here's Monday, one. Monday. All right. Well, I won't go on with that. But you get the, you get the picture. That's just extra exposure. So if you've got a little bit of a product placement showing in your DVDs, those manufacturers are probably going to thank you for it. It's like... People using quotations from me, which is done a lot. I get a lot of requests, and frankly, I wish I would not get as many requests as I do. Just go ahead and do it. So if you use a line out of 48 days or No More Mondays or The Rudder of the Day or something that I wrote or something you hear me, heard me talk about in an interview, just go ahead and use it. I mean, to me, that's just extra exposure and promotion for me, and I thank you for it. And I think you'll find manufacturers are going to feel the same way about products that show up in your DVDs. Well, here, here, this comes from Tom, Tom Gendich, who, well, let me just read it. This is a, not a question, but it's, it's sharing a success story, which I also love to share on here because I love the stories about people who heard a little bit of something or attended an event or something inspired them and they went and did something. I mean, those are the stories we love to share. This is a great one from Tom who says a little over a year ago, I felt compelled to start a business after listening to your podcast and reading your books. With the help of my wife, I started rochestermedia.com. We help authors get their work published and printed by doing the cover format and editing for their books. We've just finished our 14th book last month. It's called No Liver, No Shoes, and it's available on Amazon.com. We also started a local news site using the Rochester Media website, creating a weekly email we call the Community Edge to cover local news and events. Resources for this news source involve over 32 contributors that range from elected officials to moms of young kids to business owners. 
We have over 1,600 already on our mailing list, and the site is seen by over 6,000 visitors regularly. We've been asked by a major search engine and a local newspaper to share content in return for exposure or money as well. One of our contributors goes by the name of Dear Crabby, and his weekly advice column has been bought by a large local paper as well as seen on usatoday.com, NPR, various other news sites. Although our sales have not been off the charts, it's been a blessing to many of us to find creative outlets in our writing. I wanted to take a moment to thank you and also to encourage you to keep going and keep encouraging others. Below is an article we shared with our readers this week about the benefits of your right to the bank event. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Tom, I did go to your site, rochestermedia.com, and looked at the article you've got up there about us. I appreciate that. Thank you for that exposure. Now, again, Tom didn't ask me about that in advance. He just did it, which is exactly the way that it ought to be. And I thank him for it. And also commend you, Tom, on doing what you've done. I mean, that's cool to take, you know, your desire to be in the writing environment and a lot of people get too narrowly focused in that and so they don't know you know they can't find traction for being the next john grisham or danielle Steele, and so they get frustrated with it well you're helping other writers i mean that's uh, the way a whole lot of people have gotten involved in industries like writing music and art is by helping other people do well in that as well it'll leverage your own exposure i've certainly done that in 48 days, same kind of thing, where by helping a whole lot of other people, it's given me a broader platform for promoting the things that I do as well. Well, again, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you got a question you want to submit, just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Leave your question there. Incidentally, if you're new, the 48 Days comes from a book I wrote a few years ago, 48 Days to the Work You Love which uh, continues to do well in the career, starting your business, finding work you love arena. And I'm grateful for that. But the 48 days really is a brand that we have used far beyond the book. 48 days being what I think is a reasonable period of time in which to change what you're doing. If you want to change. And it came from my own frustration and working with people as a coach where we would lay out exactly what needed to be done And two years later, I'd run into them and they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, what's up with this? So I really created a timeline and it was more art than science. Believe me, I'd like to have some really cool story about the scientific process of choosing 48 days. It's not like that at all. I just think it's a a memorable kind of thing. It kind of tied in with 48 hours, which was becoming well known as a TV show. So we kind of used some of the bleed over brand recognition. But I think 48 days is enough time to look at where you are, if you're frustrated in what you're doing, to look at where you are, to get the advice and opinion of other people, look at some options that you've got, choose the best one, do a little bit more research, make a decision and act. Now I kind of went over that very quickly, but here's, here's how that kind of flushes out. If I'm going to work with you as a coach, I'm going to jump in the trenches with you. Look at where you are, how you got there, what your most marketable skills are, how you're wired, how God has gifted you and all of that. And we're going to very quickly move to, okay, what are possible applications here? We've got 15 possibilities. All right. We know these 12 don't fit because of some other things you say you want to have true in your life and the ideal life. So we're down to three. We're going to research a little bit more. Here's the best one. Here's what you need to do. Step A, B, C, and D boom, do it. Now, if on day 49, you choose to continue doing what you were doing when we met, that's perfectly fine. I'm still going to be your friend, but you know what? 
I'm probably not going to continue coaching you because I don't want to just keep hearing the same stories of frustration. I want to see clear action steps that have been taken. So does that ever happen where I coach somebody and they just continue doing what they're doing? Sure. I mean, I see lots of physicians, attorneys, dentists, pastors, people like that. I mean, does it ever just can they just decide to continue doing what they're doing? Yeah. And that's a legitimate choice. If we look at a lot of other options and you in fact decide what I'm doing is a good fit, it is a great option for me at this season in my life. I'm going to continue it. That's a legitimate outcome. But if you continue to complain, Ew, I hate this. I wish I didn't have to do this. Nah, that's when old Dan Miller's moving on down the pike. Trust me. Well, Brad from uh, Grand Rapids, well, this is kind of a related question. Says, Dan, after taking the personality profile and answering the questions you ask about wanting to coach, I know in my heart that I'm a born coach and advisor. How can one narrow down the specific area of coaching or advising? Which of your programs or anyone else's programs would you recommend to help me get on the starting block and move to that goal? Well, certainly I would recommend our Coaching with Excellence. We've got one of those events coming up here in just a couple of weeks. I think we have three of those scheduled for 2012. And encourage you, if at all possible, certainly join us for that. We'll help you in that narrow down your area of specialty and how you can then leverage that so you get the clients that you want to work with leverage it in terms of presenting your intellectual capital in other ways as well through seminars, workshops, eBooks, audio products, and instructional manuals. We'll show you how to do all that so you can make extraordinary income in that area of coaching. But now I would encourage you as you're getting into the game, not necessarily to narrow down too quickly, get in the game. So you kind of find your sweet spot. I mean, one of our lead coaches, Joel Bogus from Dallas started out coaching pretty much anybody that we would send to him. Well, in doing that, though, he recognized that one of the areas of passion that he has is working with single women who are trying to do something creative. Now, that was identified as a sweet spot for Joel because he grew up as the child of a single mom who struggled. He wants to help ladies like his mom who were in the same position as his mama was and help them just really knock it out of the park. What a, what a great motivator, a great incentive for him to work in that particular arena. So we know that that's his area. That's where he wants to coach. So if somebody fits that particular profile, that's who we're going to refer to is that, you know, in my own coaching, this is something going on right now that I'm kind of scratching my head with. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of old musicians. Now you can get a sense real quickly of what this is all about. I mean, how many people in the music industry do you know whose names were very well known 20, 25 years ago, but all of a sudden that musician, that songwriter, that producer, performer, whoever is now 55. It's a whole lot different out there. And I'm finding these guys who at 55 and 60 have nothing to go on other than their continuing passion for performing or writing songs. But we have to look at the reality. And unfortunately there are some wives looking at the reality or saying, you know what, dude, I know this is your passion and this is what you think is your work. This is what you call your work. But the fact that you haven't generated a penny in household income in the last three years is a pretty glaring red flag that something's not working. 
And a lot of these guys just hunker down and say, oh, this is my work. This is my passion. This is what God has gifted me to do. Now, you know, I have to remind them of that three-legged stool that I refer to often comes out of Jim Collins' work and Built to Last and Good to Great, where we identify three legs of the stool. What are you passionate about? Where is your talent? Okay, so these guys know what they're passionate about. They love the music industry. They know they're talented in, as being songwriters or performers. But the third leg of the stool, what's your economic model? With no economic model, without producing income, you may have a hobby or some little side interest, but you do not have a career. You can't justify, you can't keep calling it that if there's no income being generated. It ain't a career, man. It's not a job. It's something else. So just be realistic about that. Now, that is where a lot of these musicians find themselves. I don't have easy answers. I wish I did. I could make millions of dollars all over again in that arena. If I did, I don't, I'm looking for that. If you, if any of you have some creative ideas for what, where old musicians go, uh, please let me know. But, but it's like, it's like being an NFL player. I mean, you aren't going to be out there across the line from Tim Tebow when you're 50 years old. It's just not going to happen. You better have built some other skills along the way with which you can transition when you reach those critical seasons of life. So if your season in being, you know, Garth Brooks in front of a crowd is over, what are you going to move to next? If your season of being a linebacker is over, what are you going to move to next? You've got to be able to see those transition points in our lives. We live our lives in seasons, in cycles. We don't live them linearly in one straight line. And I'm, I'm glad we don't but be ready for those transitions in your life. Troy from Mississippi says, I'm getting ready to purchase your eight hours with Dan. How comparable is this program to the $4,500 Eagles club program you have? What should I expect from this program? If I truly put my heart into this and apply myself? Well, thanks for your question, Troy. The eight hours with Dan is something that is fairly new that we tried. And I've been blown away by the success of that. And I love what we're hearing. That is eight hours it is delivered via the telephone. So you don't have to come to Franklin. You can be wherever you want to. And I'm just here in my office in Franklin, Tennessee. That's how it's delivered. So you're not sitting with me one-on-one. -on -one. You're in a group. There's going to be other people in the group. You can submit questions and I integrate a whole lot of those questions as we go through, but it's not going to be as one-on-one -on -one individualized as the Eagles club process is now in many ways that can work for you. I mean, if you go to Weight Watchers or Alcoholics Anonymous, the power of their program is in the synergy of the group dynamics. So they don't want to meet with you individually. They know that it works a lot better. If you say, Ooh, I lost 0.2 pounds this week and you have 30 people in the room, but yeah, yeah, cool. Well, there's that same kind of process in the eight hours with Dan when we have in a group session, two four hour sessions where people can share their own experiences that oftentimes are very encouraging to the others. And the power of that has amazed even me because I still tend to think that, well, it's going to mean more if I'm sitting with somebody one-on-one. -on -one. So we do have the eight hours with Dan that's coming up 
and you can just check the dates. I don't know what the dates are, but I think we've got one coming up in February. Eight hours with Dan, two Saturday mornings, and it's like $269. That's the other thing. The Eagles Club process, the one-on-one with me, eight hours, two, four two-hour sessions is $4,500, has been for years. I don't see many people in that anymore. Part of it is because I have so many requests for that, and I was feeling frustrated in that I was only able to see, you know, 1% of the people requesting it. Well, what, and I thought, could we possibly put people in a group? Well, that seems to work pretty well where people go to that. So I think it's a great option. And if you need a lot of handholding, then perhaps the Eagles club is going to be better. If you have a really unique situation that you don't think anybody else is experiencing, that's going to be better. But for probably 95% of the situations out there where you're just frustrated in what you're doing, you want some new options, you want to know how to move through the logical process to get you into a new place, then eight hours with Dan is probably going to work perfectly fine. Well, Jason from Franklin, Tennessee, right here where I live, says, as we start the new year, I keep hearing so much about the absolute necessity of setting goals. Well, man, if you've been listening to me, you know you're going to have heard that because I can't imagine starting a new year without goals. I can't imagine just drifting into January 1st, kind of see what happens this year. Man, I want to decide way in advance exactly what is going to happen this year. And then all I'm doing is just implementing the steps to make that true. Well, anyway, Jason says, what is the best program on how to set and achieve goals? I'm so ready to jump on this. Your advice on this is invaluable. Thanks in advance. If you go to resources on 48days.com, go to resources and then drop down worksheets, you're going to see a goal setting worksheet there that you can just use for that. Okay. That's a process. It's just one. If you use something else, I'm thrilled to death. There's nothing sacred about what I, I just share what has worked for me, how I've approached this, identifying what I want as success in seven different areas of life, what I want to have true five years from now, one year from now, what do I have to do today to put that in motion? That has worked really well for me. If you want to use a Franklin Covey planner, if you want to use the Zig Ziglar planner, if you find something online that helps you set goals, this is like exercise. You know, when I work with people, I want to know what they're doing to keep themselves sharp and alert and prime condition creatively. So what are you doing physically to keep yourself in that kind of condition? I don't care if it's jogging or if it's going to a gym and working with weights or if it's being in an aerobics class or if it's swimming or hiking a mountain, I don't care. But the key to exercise so that you continue to do it is find something that works for you and something you enjoy. The same thing is true with goals. Find something that works for you and something that you enjoy. Well, you know, as a a note here, I want to add in too, we've got a lady who is just a, a 48 days podcast listener. Her name is Michelle Wright, and she is creating podcast notes. So when I reference websites and all the things that I do in here, I don't have time to go back and recapture all that and produce the text. And she is doing notes. Those notes are not found on iTunes or Stitcher or the other places that you can pick up the podcast. I assume they're not. Probably the only place you can find those is going to the podcast link at 48days.com. But she's doing an amazing job. Now, she's been doing this for about four months, and we haven't really promoted it much because I wanted to see if, in fact, she's going to be consistent. 
She is amazing in what she's doing. So if you are hearing things and you want to go back, what was that website that Dan referenced? Give it a couple days, go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast and you'll see the podcast notes and you'll get a whole lot more valuable information. Thanks to uh, listener uh, Michelle Wright. And we appreciate that. Well, this is Dan Miller and the 48 days online radio show. If you got a question, you can go to that podcast link at 48days.com and you'll find a place there to leave your question. Daphne from Pensacola, Florida says, I want to have a mission statement for myself, but I'm new to it. What's the best advice you have for understanding and implementing a mission statement for people new to this? Is your personal mission statement different than your family mission statement and business mission statement? What's the difference between a mission and a vision statement? Thanks a trillion Daphne from Pensacola. Well, thanks for your question. Uh, you know, you, you threw a whole bunch of questions in there. Let me just kind of go through them with a bird's eye view. Yes. My personal mission statement is different than my family mission statement and business mission statement. Now there's a lot of, there's more similarity probably between my personal mission statement and my business mission statement of uh, the family mission statement stands kind of by itself. It was very helpful when our kids were little, they knew it by heart. We had copies of it, you know, on the mirror in the bathroom and on the refrigerator, you know, so they would see it, they could recite it by heart and it had to do with our home being a safe place uh, where we weren't going to be, you know, backbiting and critical and so on and so forth. So it created a third party measurement by which we could judge any activity. So if somebody was mean and angry and hostile, it didn't have to say, well, Hey, that's not allowed in this house. I'm the daddy. And I, we don't, we'd go to the mission statement and I'll say, and we'd say, look, we agreed on this together. This is what we agreed on. How about what you just did? Did that embrace our agreed upon mission statement or did it conflict with that? And it became a very, it was just a wonderful process to help our kids see that they had been part of agreeing on the mission statement so they could then determine if their actions or the actions of mom or dad, incidentally, complemented or violated the mission statement. So I think there's power in having a mission statement. The same thing is true then in having a personal mission statement whereby you can immediately judge, does this activity embrace or conflict with my mission statement? You don't have to take three weeks to decide if you should serve on a committee through your chamber of commerce, go to your mission statement. It ought to tell you immediately if it's something that fits or something that is not. Now to, to get information on that, if you go to, if you go to 48days.com, go to resources, go to the worksheets, drop down about the third or fourth one down. You're going to see a form there for developing your own mission statement. It's just a free worksheet. You can go there and get that. So certainly do that. So you can develop your own mission statement. Critically important to do that. Uh, don't, don't spend, you know, two weeks doing it, spend two hours doing it, but then give yourself something where you can come back three weeks later and ask yourself, yeah, is that true? Yeah, I want to tweak this. I mean, I go back and tweak mine all the time. I've had a mission statement for 25 years probably, but I go back every two or three months. I look at it, I, I weigh it again. Does this really speak to what I'm doing today? Do I want to tweak a little bit here and there? That's the way that a personal or business mission statement works. Incidentally, if you want to hear the best thing that I've ever created on mission statements, go to the Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership Podcast. 
Now, it's a little tricky to find, but if you go to Dave, Leader, Dave Ramsey and then Entree Leadership, that's the title of his newest book, Wall Street bestseller, Entree Leadership on how to create a wonderful culture as a leader in your business. But I was interviewed as part of their podcast series for that book and training, Entree Leadership, on mission statements. So go to that. It's episode 10, Personal Mission Statements. And their little synopsis on their website says, this week on the podcast, we'll be learning about the importance of having a personal mission statement. There's an old saying that people end up exactly where they where they expected. If you want more out of life, then listen as Dave teaches on the importance of having a mission statement for life. Our special interview this week is with Dan Miller, author of 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Mondays. Anyway, they did a great job of posing questions to me, and I think we have a lot of meat in that particular podcast. And I'm also honored to be right in between uh, podcast number nine was Tony Dungy and podcast number 11 is Jim Collins, author of Built the Last and Good to Great. So I'm honored to be in that company. Well, Jeremy from Illinois says your latest podcast about the different approaches to selling based on a person's disc profile really has me fired up about a career in sales as a way to create passive residual income. I'm a high C. Now, if when, when we talk about personality styles, we talk about people in selling are often expected to be a high D or I dominant influencing. They're the go getters. They're aggressive in your face. They don't mind confrontation. They're high pressure. You know, do you want it or don't you kind of, thing. well, a high C is never going to be like that. A high C would be great as an architect, an airline pilot, an engineer, actuary, accountant, bookkeeper, people who are good with, you know, things that are really detailed, meticulous, methodical. They tend to be more quiet, shy, introverted behind the scenes. How are you going to make somebody like that a salesperson? Well, yeah, I talk about if you use systems for selling rather than face-to-face, nose-to-nose interaction, you can be extremely successful as a high C. So he is saying, Jeremy is saying, that's good news. I want to do that. I'm a high C. So indirect sales through developing a methodical systems-based approach, as you described, really hits home with me. My question is, how would you suggest I go about finding products to sell or companies to contact about this type of sales model since I have no interest in developing products of my own? Um, okay, let, let me introduce another question as well here. Nina from Charleston, South Carolina says, Dan, love your podcast newsletter, rereading No More Mondays. Could you provide suggestions for searching for products being sold in other countries that possibly could be sold here? The time is now to create my future. So both of these people, Nina and Jeremy are asking kind of the same thing. Want to sell, probably not going to be going door to door or even in a retail environment or selling cars, furniture, jewelry, real estate. They're going to be behind the scenes doing systems based selling. Now this is very legitimate we do both around here, but you, you'll know that with 48 days, there's a whole lot of selling going on. That is this approach. Somebody that could be a high C could do that well, where it's based on systems. So in doing the podcast newsletter, blog, other things that I do interviews, it drives people to the website. They go there, they look at products. They can be looking at 3 AM in the morning while I'm sleeping soundly and they can go through our product listings, select, put in a credit card number, boom, purchase. And that happens, you know, thousands of times. Well, I'm thrilled to say, 
So those are the kind of things that you can do. So if you want to have that kind of a systems-based selling model for creating significant and ongoing and residual income, uh, how can you do that? Well, there are a whole lot of products out there. You, you don't have to develop anything. You don't have to write a book on your own. I mean, frankly, we sell a lot of products that I did not write. I mean, we make a lot of money on books that other people wrote because we understand the selling process. Uh, they maybe understand, understood the writing process, but not the selling process. So if you understand selling, yeah, you can do that well. Now, here are some sites, and again, these are tough to relay in an audio program, but I'll give you the names. You can jot them down or or go through Michelle's notes in a couple days or go back and re-listen to this. But places like Afra Gadget, A-F-R-I-G-A-D-G-E-T, those are just lots of new products coming out of Africa. So you may see something really cool there. They can produce it for pennies, and you can bring it back here and sell it. Great way to go. There's a site, squidoo.com. If you go to squidoo.com, it's one of the big sites out there. Look for novelty gifts. They they are suppliers for a lot of things. Go to the places like Oriental Trading. I mean, just do a search for products. What you're talking about then is you will not be working for a company. You will be a distributor. So that's very, very different. You'll be a distributor. That's easy to set up. Companies love to have distributors. I mean, we have lots of people who sell our products other than just us. They're distributors. So you you can be an affiliate distributor as people are here where you simply send people to our site and then you get a percentage of any purchases that are made. We have, I think we've got over a thousand people and companies, organizations that are doing that for us. So, I mean, you can do that or you can actually purchase products at wholesale prices and then you resell them. So lots of ways to do that and a lot of options, a lot of products. Do something in an arena that you love. I mean, just like getting a job. Don't try to sell bamboo furniture from China. If you think bamboo furniture from China, you wouldn't allow it in your home because you hate the way it looks. I mean, don't do that. Find something that you really love. So if you love pet products, look for pet products that you could sell online. Uh, If you're into sports, look for that. If you are an aviation buff, look for things that are in aviation. So just follow your areas of interest, your normal passions anyway, and then find products that line up with those. Elizabeth, now Elizabeth has a a great question here and something that is really worth sharing. Again, this is something that's going to apply to thousands of you in your situation. She says, I have 20 years of experience in my field, no college degree. I'm looking for work due to a layoff and have enrolled part-time at a local community college to work toward an associate's degree. How do I best approach the lack of a degree in my job search and with interviewing? Elizabeth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to frame that 20 years of experience on your resume so it makes me absolutely cannot wait to get to talk to you about what you do. Frame your work experience where it shows the value you bring to the table. As an employer, I will be far more impressed with those 20 years of experience than I would be with a brand new associate's degree. An associate's degree, now I'm going to do some extrapolation here and just assumptions and forgive me, but if you've been, if you have 20 years of experience, I'm going to assume that you're in your mid 40s. So let's just say that you don't have a college degree, but you're, you're in your mid forties. 
in your mid-40s, I'm going to look at personal characteristics you bring to the table. Energy, enthusiasm, ability to lead, to inspire, to motivate, to get along with other people. I mean, all those things are going to go, are going to be way ahead of the list of what you have your degree in. Then I'm going to look at what have you done the last 10 years? What kind of solid experience do you have in the last 10 years that makes you an appealing candidate for what I want to have done at my company? I mean, I'm going to be way down the list before I look at, okay, gee, what, where did she get? Oh yeah. She got a degree in English lit, you know, 20 years ago. whoop de doo I mean, really, it's not going to be the criteria by which you are judged. Now, if you want to, I mean, if you want to be a brain surgeon, obviously you need to go to medical school. If you want to be an attorney, you need to go to law school. But for most things, it's not going to have, all it does is show that you had the discipline and the perseverance to sit in the seat long enough and spend enough money. So you got a degree. So unless the degree you're talking about is directly tied to some new line of work, it's going to pale in comparison to the 20 years of experience that you already have. Go with that. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to 48 days online radio show. We do this, uh, pick through the questions submitted by you, the listeners. If you got a question, I'd be happy to entertain that as well for an upcoming show. Just go to the podcast link at 48 days.com to leave your question. Let me, um, judge my time carefully here. All right, let me go to this one. Sheila from Seattle says, Dan, we met in September of last year at the Coaching with Excellence event. Fashion coaching may be my ultimate business goal, but for now, I need to get out of nursing ASAP. That's one of those uh, medical terms or ASAP. And that just stands for as soon as possible uh, to keep my own sanity. I want to put the coaching on the back burner for now and pursue medical sales. As someone with a high I personality, that means she's very outgoing, gregarious, social. I can see how I would enjoy this work, medical sales. But how do you overcome the fear of transitioning from a steady paycheck to an irregular income in sales? The thought of a base salary that's 50% lower than what I'm receiving now scares me, especially that this is my only source of income for me and my 12-year-old son. From the job postings that I see, commission will be 15% of the products sold. Should I just go take a chance or what should be my strategy? Thanks. All right. Now, Sheila, this is, this is a great example. I talk about selling a lot. Obviously I'm not talking about everybody ought to go into selling, but we know selling provides some things that are hard to duplicate in almost any other area of expertise. Selling skills are the most highly transferable area of skills you could have. If you sold in real estate, you can go into construction, you can go into manufacturing, you can go into all kinds of things. If you can sell in medical sales, it's not only medical sales that you could sell. There are a lot of people coming out of medical sales, pharmaceutical sales, who because of some changes and consolidations that are going on there and they're going into other things, they waltz right into anything if they have selling skills. So it's that kind of skill area that I get excited about because it will take you places. You will never be flat on your feet if you have selling skills. Here's the yes, but that goes with that. You have to believe in the product. I mean, selling professional selling is sharing enthusiasm. That's what selling is. So you have to believe in the product and in your ability to sell it. Having a base 50% lower than what you're making now is a very reasonable transition process. So that should mean that if you're just okay, at selling, 
you'll at least make what you're making now. But if you're really good, then the ceiling is removed and you can make maybe double or triple what you're making now. But now think this through a little bit. I mean, great salespeople never worry about their base. All they care about is the open-ended potential of compensation if they are really, really good. As a salesperson, you have to believe that you're great. I mean, really, a little egotism goes a long way. See, if you have low self-esteem and are lacking in personal confidence, you're going to have a tough time selling anything. I mean, if you're offering brand new Mercedes 550 SL for $10,000, you're going to have a hard time selling it. If you have low self-esteem and lack personal confidence, a little personal confidence and a healthy level of self-esteem, along with maybe a little cockiness and arrogance, those fit very nicely in selling. Again, selling is a great equalizer. People with an MBA or a high school diploma can have the same opportunity and be at exactly the same income level six months from now. Now, let me back up a little bit on something else you said. I want to throw this in real quick. You said you really want to be a fashion coach, but you're going to put that on the back burner and go into medical sales. If you really believe in your ability to sell, why don't you position yourself as a fashion coach? I'm not sure why you're creating another stepping stone here. If you know really where you want to go, why are you putting that on the back burner? Again, it comes back to your lack of confidence. You can sell that. But if you really believe in that and you have the, you know, the background that makes you a good candidate to be a fashion coach, then you ought to be able to do that. Okay. Let me squeeze in one more here and we're going to end with this. This is a long one. I'm going to, I'm going to give a, a synopsis of what is more than two pages in an email question here. I pulled this in not with any intention of reading it, but I wanted to give you the bottom line. This is from Jeff. And he says, I'm really struggling right now. I need some help. If you have any advice or wisdom for the situation, I appreciate it. I'm currently in a job that's very draining to me. Does not appeal to my heartfelt passions. A large amount of the tasks that this current job requires are not part of my natural skill set. However, this is not the main issue that I keep struggling with. Now, Jeff goes through a lengthy explanation. He was in law enforcement, but he was putting his life on the line literally every day and a lot of stresses taking home a lot of pressure from that. He decided to get out of that, that that was just too much. He got out of that and almost immediately regretted doing it. Would like to go back in, but now his credentials have lapsed. He'd need to go back to the police academy if he were going to get back in that. But again, it's now it's his catch 22 where he knows he's putting his life on the line. There's a lot of pressure there. Harsh expectations. Why would he want to go back into something when he so clearly already knows what that entails? And so his bottom line question is this. And again, he's got a lot of explanation here. And Jeff, I empathize with your situation, your struggle. But here is what he asked. How do I reconcile the want to make good money, have a job that I would consider my calling, and yet have decent work hours to coincide with the other activities I want in my life? I feel that I have to sacrifice one or the other to have the life that I want. Is the whole idea of creating the life we want while thriving in a career that we love more of an ideal than a practicality. I feel as if I'm just spitting into the wind, wanting my cake and eat it too. Any wisdom and then practical advice. Man, I love the way you word that. You want your cake and eat it too? I say that's a reasonable goal. I want to have it all. Figure out how to have both, not either or. We shouldn't have to make a lot of these things we position as either or choices should really not be either or choices. 
Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about that. Look for and solutions. You want to teach in a private school where the kids are really involved in the educational model, the parents are really supportive, but you really want to make a lot of make, make a lot of money and private schools don't pay much. So should you teach where you really love the environment or should you go somewhere where you make a lot of money? See, I say, don't give yourself that either or choice. Is it unreasonable to expect to work somewhere where you really love the teaching environment and make a lot of money? Sure. Is it common? Maybe not. Do you need to get creative? Yeah. But is it possible? Absolutely. Get out there and find that. So be careful about putting all your eggs in just your work basket. Your career cannot be the only source of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in your life. That's never Work alone, as much as I talk about the importance of it, work alone is never going to give you a life that you love. You have got to be making deposits of success in other areas of your life. And Jeff, the way you position your question here, you're looking for too much out of the work. I mean, you you ought to be able to do 10 different things work-wise. There's not just one position or one industry or even one career that would be a fit for you. This is where the power of a personal mission statement really comes into play. Go back and look at your personal mission statement. Then identify five or six different careers that would fully embrace your personal mission statement. That's the way that you move into a life that you love. Well, the music tells us we're out of time. Hey, I've enjoyed this time together. I love this time every week where I go look at questions you all submitted, knowing that you are on this path as I am, where we are continuing to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. It can be all of those. It's not idealistic to expect that. I want you to expect nothing less.